Hi, everyone. Rex Aldana here, along with my friend Mark Stevens. Hey there. I'm back. <laughs> and uh, we're back with another Eurythmics podcast. And I know everyone's been waiting with bated breath for this next one. <laughs> um, this is uh, We're going to be talking on this podcast about um, the two uh, hits compilations that Eurythmics released over their career. First one being Greatest Hits in 91, and then the Ultimate, which, uh, Ultimate Collection, which came out in 2005. So we'll be getting into that shortly. But first, we want to bring up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and remind everybody to vote daily through uh, the end of April, I believe. And an interesting development. Mark, you want to talk about the Dolly Parton thing a little bit? Yeah, this happened, what, I guess a week or two weeks ago. I'm not sure. Um, but, um, yeah, Dolly Parton, who um, had is still fourth in the fan rankings, but she asked fans not to vote for her or actually, actually, no, that's not quite correct. Correct. She asked to really not be considered for the hall of fame. And she sort said, she sort of wasn't sure she was worthy of that because she wasn't quote uh, a rock artist. Of course, Dolly Parton, she's a country artist at pop, but she has, you know, certainly crossed over into pop. Uh, and I don't think the rock and roll hall of fame is specifically about rock music as that kind of cliche might be. Um, so it was interesting because, and, and she and she kind of joked about it. She said, well, she may record a, a rock album sometime and she's wanting to, and, and then she'd be worthy. Of course, she has recorded many things. She's in, recorded, of course, Stairway to Heaven <laughs> uh, and on her version of that before. So, you know, I, I'm a little sad about that because I'm originally from Tennessee and Dolly Parton is a very important person in Tennessee. You know, I was mm -hmm. at the opening day of Dollywood, you know, Oh wow. Park, you know, so, and, um, and she really is, I think she is, she's a force of nature. She is an incredibly important, uh, person to music, um, in, in many fashion, many facets, um, and I think she's completely worthy of being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But here's the kind of thing about these Hall of Fames. It means a lot to me if Eurythmics get into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much it means to the artist. I'm sure it's an honor to be, you know, Eurythmics are already in the UK Hall of Fame. They're about to be inducted for their two, their 2020 uh, induction into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, but they're actually going to have the ceremony now because COVID's over in, in just a, what, a couple of months or something. Um, I don't know what it means to the artist. Do you, I mean, what's your thought on that? Um, personally, I think it depends on the type of artist you're dealing with. Some artists would be like, Oh, I've been wait I've been waiting for this and I've been wanting this validation and I'm glad I'm in. And then I think you have the artists that, uh, that, um, are genuinely thrilled to be in. They weren't courting it. They didn't really expect it. And they're thrilled to be in. And then I think you have the kind of artists who will talk the talk and say they're happy to be nominated, they're happy to be in, but really don't care. I'm not sure where Eurythmics fall in all that. Maybe somewhere between, you know, the last two I said. <laughs> you know, when they were first nominated, what was it, in 2018, was it? And, you know, and they both said, well, you know, this came out of the blue. We had no idea, uh, you know, we would we were being considered, and they seemed really honored. And I think I think it's that kind of thing. I think you're honored by that, and yeah. you know, yeah. but uh, I don't think it changes your viewpoint if if you were worthy or not. Um, right. You know, so but it is interesting. We should say, you know, that Dolly uh, Parton said to fans, you know, and to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know. Really, I don't. I think she said something to the effect of, "I don't want to split the votes." And I think what she meant was she doesn't want to keep somebody out that she would think could be worthy. So we did notice almost immediately in the fan vote that we keep talking about. You know, make sure you go vote every day. You know, uh, for Eurythmics for the Hall of Fame, and Eurythmics are currently in fifth place. And you said you had just checked it before we and and, and Dolly. I mean, you you saw it from the beginning that her vote started going down and that fans sort of listened to her. Not everyone, she's still getting votes, but you started seeing that and Eurythmics are about to take over that fourth place spot. Yeah, it, it looks like it could happen. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that worries about what place they're in, you know, and it's like, I'm just honored that they're on the list, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it would be interesting if they, if they sort of surpassed Dolly and, and, but, you know, going back to Dolly for a second, I have to say, I believe she deserves to be in the rock and roll hall of fame, because like you said, it's not exclusively about rock per se. And I mean, she's had many pop hits. Let's not forget that she wrote the biggest, one of the biggest pop singles in history yep. that Whitney Houston recorded. If that doesn't give her rock and roll hall of fame credibility, I don't know what does. So, right. um, I mean, you know, uh, part, uh, part of Whitney Houston, you know, um, placement in the hall of fame, which she's in the hall of fame, right? Whitney Houston is in, I'm not sure about that, but probably most likely. <laughs> <laughs> I have to check. But, uh, you know, that, you know, yeah, Dolly wrote that, you know, and, and, and sometimes people are surprised that she wrote I Will Always Love You. People didn't know it, you know, heard Whitney Houston's version for the first time, you know. that. But well, yeah. think about like Jolene, which has been covered by so many artists, including rock artists like the White Stripes. Yeah. I mean, she certainly, in my mind, she certainly belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I, I think it's lovely what she said and what she did, and and I and I think that shows what a what a genuinely nice person she is. And I respect what she what, how she believes, but I feel I feel she deserves to be in there. So, and and then oh, I don't think we said this, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame itself came out the day or two later and said, well, we appreciate what you say, Dolly, basically, but some of the 1200 people who actually do the voting for the hall of fame had already started voting. So they weren't taking her name out. And my guess is if she is voted in by whoever these 1200 members are that actually do all this voting, uh, that, um, she'll be inducted. Um, I don't, I don't think they're not going to do it because I think they said basically they're, we think everyone on this list is worthy of being in the hall of fame. We've already decided that they're worthy. Now it's up to the people who vote. Yeah. So we'll see. I could see her getting in uh, for two, for two reasons. One, she deserves it. And it's been a long, you know, and she certainly has been eligible for a while. And secondly, this whole thing may have actually spurred some of the voters to, to say, you know what? We love you, Dolly. And we get what you're saying, but you, we still think you should be in here. Like I was mm -hmm. saying. So, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be interesting if if she did get in and performed and did something kind of kind of more rock and roll to to yeah. to sort of uh, or maybe you know she talked about a rock album maybe that would be funny if she like put one out like really quickly after this you know yeah. well you know I you know I'm I'm all for it you know if we can have a rock and roll hall of fame induction con ceremony concert with uh, Annie Lennox and Dolly Parton hey if, if they want to get together and sing sisters are doing it for themselves hey I'm all for it. Yes, or 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 maybe Pat Benatar if okay. she gets in, and yep. um, and Dolly and Annie can all sing it together with Dave on the guitar and all that. Anyhow, this is not a Dolly Parton podcast, so we <laughs> we will get back to the the topic at hand, which is uh, the two greatest hits albums that Eurythmics have put out. And um, you know, there's <laughs> the first one came out in '91, Greatest Hits, after Eurythmics announced their hiatus if you want to call it that they never did official split um went on to i to sell gazillion copies in the uk i was one of the biggest albums of the year did very well over here sold uh was it three million over here in the u.s three or four million yeah um so but it only you know it's 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 top position on the charts here was yeah. 76 Right. It was a slow. Yeah, that that happened over over a, over several years. Yeah. The, the certification here. And I think that it was also helped in the U.S. by Annie's solo career, which was pretty big here as well. So there was in the 90s, you know, um, Annie Lennox was selling records as a solo artist. Eurythmics were selling records, the greatest hits album. It was, a, you know, like the early 90s through the mid to late 90s. They were selling a lot of records, her and Eurythmics. Well, it was interesting. You know, a lot of people did discover her in the 90s as a solo artist. Oh, yeah. And or rediscovered her, perhaps. And, well, you know, I have a, a funny story. I, I was at the at the uh, VH1 Honors in 95 where she she performed and she was given a, a charity award for her charity work. Mm -hmm. And she sang Whiter Shade of Pale, dressed as the Pagliacci. And then she also duetted with... Uh, Smokey Robinson, right? Yeah. Show. Anyhow, there was a younger a younger guy sitting next to me. Uh, 
I would have been around 30, 31. Then the younger guy was clearly like early 20s. And he was telling me, oh, you know, um, I never really got into Eurythmics, but when she went solo, I mean, wow, now I'm just this huge Annie Lennox fan. And so it's kind of like, yeah, you saw that. You saw people who didn't know Eurythmics get into Eurythmics. And then you saw people who weren't so into Eurythmics, but they were more into Annie Lennox. Mm-hmm. And and you do see that in some of the fans too, that, that prefer, you know, some are more Annie, prefer Annie more than Eurythmics and all that. But, but yes, to back to your point, a lot of people were, were turned on to, I think, Eurythmics through Annie solo success and vice versa. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and you can't, you cannot forget just how big her solo career was, yeah. I mean, you know, and totally unexpected. I'm certain it was unexpected on her part that, she had no expectations for it because you had have no idea. Um, but well, you know, um, back in '85, Robert Hilburn, that uh, LA LA Times critic, yeah, wrote, uh, put out an article about you know uh, all of the current female singers and how he think that how he thought they would fare moving forward and all that. And he and he mentioned Annie Lennox. She will sell um, she will sell a gazillion records when she goes solo. Oh, really? Was- there was a this was in 1985, uh-huh. and. Um, and uh, that that turned out to be true. I mean, you know, Eurythmics albums in the U.S. went platinum or they went gold or they didn't go either. She came along and both of her solo albums went double platinum. I mean, you know, it was big, big, big. If you were a Eurythmics or Annie fan, that was your those were your glory days, I think, uh, <laughs> when she was having all those hits in the uh, in the early 90s and mid 90s here in the U.S. I'm, I'm talking more U.S. centric because yeah, you know, yeah. it was always they were always big everywhere else big here too. Not as big, but yeah, she got, she got, uh, you know, I, I, you could say she became a a household name in the nineties. Yeah. Well, walking on broken glass was on the adult contemporary charts for more than a year or right at a year, you know? So, um, you know, you you were saying you were surprised about the success of, of diva and all that, you know, when I knew something was up, about two months, about a month before the album came out, I was in a gas station gassing up and they were playing why. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm hearing why two months before the album comes out in a gas station in the United States. <laughs> that was kind of my clue that, okay, something is different here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know, something's up. Yeah. What? Remember the top, uh, whatever the top 40 was. And I forget who were the ho- ho- the specific host, but, um, when Broken Glass was released and they played it on the top 40 as the single they thought was most likely to be number one. Now, I think it got to 11, which is kind of odd because it was such a massive radio hit. Although I think it was one or two on Adult Contemporary. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, charted on all sorts of different things. And, And I think that was, you know, when the charts were being kind of, weird and funky the you know she became a huge hit when grunge had become the the thing about music and so again it of course we've got to get to the greatest hits that's what this is about but then again you, you still say even then she was doing the complete opposite of what everybody else was doing right, right. so leave it to annie you know so that's why yeah. we love but I still, uh, remember, I still remember the first time i heard walking on broken glass on the album you know like I mean, the first time you heard that song, it was just like, yeah. what? Wow. I mean, it was, I mean, I, there were, I remember there were people with me when I was listening to that. And even, even, even my friends were like, wow, what a song that's going to, and then, you know, comments like that'll be a big hit. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, we should probably get to the topic of the greatest hits and ultimate collection. Everyone knows there's like several different versions of the original greatest hits. There's the U S version with less tracks. There's the UK European version with more tracks. There's vinyl editions with less and more and always been kind of a thorn in, in our side <laughs> uh, fans that, you know, that the album was so, so different in different territories and, and like what they omitted off the U S album that should have been on there and all that. Yeah. The, the U S album, the U.S. Greatest Hits only has 14 cuts, and what is it on the uh, on the U.K. version? It's uh, the U.K. version has 18. 18. That's right. Um, and the only thing I can think of, you know, 1989, 
We Two Are One debuted on Arista Records in the U.S., and it was a big deal. Clive Davis, the huge, you know, record chief, you know, he was, this was a feather in his cap that he had gotten Eurythmics to come to his label. Of course, the U.S. Greatest Hits has um, uh, the King and Queen of America, Angel, and Don't Ask Me Why, three tracks from We Two Are One. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have Right By Your Side. It doesn't have Sex Crime. Um, so I think yeah. I think what this was for the U.S. version was it was going to be released by Arista, and Arista was going to make more money by putting on more of the tracks that they had. Con- that's the only thing I can think of. And the other thing that's weird is the track listing is so different that – it starts with Sweet Dreams, and then it goes, the second track is When Tomorrow Comes, which was mm-hmm. not was never even released in the U.S. It was never even a single in the U.S. But I think there was discussion that they might release When Tomorrow Comes as a single from this in the U.S. That did not happen. But mm-hmm. I think that was some discussion back in the day um, because they did have a video, of course. They had a video that had already been shot, that had never been shown in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, you know, a later version, you know, a, a part of their later time period, you know, so she wouldn't have looked like she did in 1983. It wasn't like they'd be releasing that. So they did release as a promo video, Sweet Dreams Live from Heaven. And I've got a copy of that in my collection. And I remember, and, 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 it, it, and it was just the oddest thing, like, why on earth did you release that of all things to promote the greatest hits in 1991? Didn't make sense to me. The what was that a re-release of the whole video album? Just a promo video, that one track that that was sent out. I don't even know who who you sent out promos videos to, but I got what, what it was a live the live performance of Sweet live, Dreams from, Sweet from Heaven. Heaven from the Sweet Dreams video album. <laughs> wow, that's that's a collectible I'm completely not aware of. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's downstairs somewhere in my. Wow. Okay, I do, I did not know about that. It, it never made sense to me. Dean Gaylor, if you're listening, <laughs> I, I have not heard of that. When I got it, I was hoping it was some sort of new greatest hits video that had been created for it, and it was just live from heaven. It was like, that's interesting. And of course, they also released that promo CD single of Sweet Dreams '91. The, yeah. Right, you know that that said something about newly with newly recorded vocals by Annie Lennox, and I I still don't think that's the case, and I don't know where they come up with that. If it's newly recorded vocals, I never could tell. I think it might have been back, you know, like backing vocals, like ooh, uh, that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> that was, but let's talk about the two singles from it in England, and the first was "Love Is a Stranger," then a lot of new remixes to it. And, and I think those were newly recorded vocals from Annie. They were very odd. Somebody once referred to them as she recorded them down the telephone because they have that sort of kind of sound. But they were kind of really interesting remixes. They really were. Yeah, yeah, they were. And I think it charted again, which makes Love is a Stranger a single that charted three different times. <laughs> was, was that also called Love is a Stranger 91 or something like that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. So, and then... Then they also had Sweet Dreams, and it had the um, uh, got re-released there as a as the '91 single. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I, even back in the day, I was hoping, and it, we should say real quickly, you know, doesn't include any tracks from In the Garden. And what I think they should have done, if I'd been in charge, Rex. yes mark tell us what you would have done (laughs) i think they should have released they had a couple of options i think they should have released i love you but like i love you like a ball and chain as a single because it was considered as a possible single from be yourself tonight they even had a video concept that they of course never did um and it's one of the tracks that it, it is the track that even over the years has made it into Annie's live performance, solo live performance, Eurythmics Peace Tour. You know, the only song from the back catalog that they would, that wasn't a single that they would still perform. Mm -hmm. So it's an, 
it's clearly an important song to them. It's one of my favorite songs. But it's such a great song. And I think you could have released that as a single and put it on. Maybe even they could have redone it somewhat. But the other thing is, I think they could have redone Never Gonna Cry Again or Take Me to Your Heart even from In the Garden. I think it would have been just cool to release Never Gonna Cry Again as an updated version, much more like the one that was performed in concert which is much more def- deep uh, performance uh, than Love is a Stranger and Sweet Dreams. It just seemed to, it seemed to me like that's kind of going backward. You know? Yeah. Um, I agree with you that it would have been interesting for them to redo some of the songs from In the Garden, but I think um, while In the Garden is a proper Eurythmics album, I don't think they have fond memories of that era. There was a lot of stuff going on with them personally. And I, I just don't think that, you know, that when they're looking, I think when they were looking maybe to, to redo something, they wouldn't think of that. I, I, I could be wrong. I just, you know, I just. I don't know. I, I think, think that was a particularly happy time for either one of them. You know, she had the breakdown. He had the collapsed lung. There was the whole, um, the album it was, you know, was kind of a flop. Were they going to succeed? What were they going to do next? It was a rough time for them. And yeah, but that's just that's the beauty of it. You know, they succeeded despite all that, and and it did give them, you know, yeah. and they, they they went on and performed those tracks as far as the even on the touch tour. So they were still, you know, they were still plucking them out and and performing. Course, and there were on the touch tour. They even had, didn't have many albums under their belt. True. But Jonice and Charlie Wilson, Jonice Jameson and Charlie Wilson performed Never Gonna Cry Again as a duet in the early versions of the Revenge Tour. Uh, they, they did, you know, and so, and it's a rollicking, you know, soul version of Never Gonna Cry Again. And so there was still something about it. Even I didn't know that. I didn't know they did that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, it's worth hearing. We'll bring it up in an upcoming podcast. We'll, uh, that we've got planned. We'll bring that up. But um, I can't believe know, I, have, I still have things to learn. <laughs> we both do every time. And, and we all do. Someone will post on one of their Eurythmics boards and I'm like, huh, well, I never knew that. Or it's either that or I'm for, forgetting. I'm not sure. <laughs> My memory isn't as good as it used to be. But, um, you know. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the laser disc that was released. Yeah. To, I mean, we all know that, you know, a home a home video, the VHS cassette was released. And I know as a Eurythmics fan, I was so thrilled to have all their videos properly released in a, in a you know, in a store-bought format. You know, I think we all had our videotapes over the years where we recorded all the videos off MTV and all that. But, I mean, I remember when that came out, I mean, I was just like in seventh heaven because, well, you know <laughs> – Eurythmics Video Visionaries, my site is is dedicated all of, uh, to their stunning video work. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I ate, lived, breathed those videos in the 80s. I know them back and forward, you know, and um, although clearly not as much as I thought since I didn't I didn't catch that. Uh, what was that in the wide eyed girl video? <laughs> I'll put that down to the grainy videotape of the era. And so I couldn't see it very well. <laughs> but you know but so and and this is this would be right then so greatest hits the video album was released on dvd but that came a few years later didn't it yes that came in the late 90s uh, as part of they were called it platinum performances platinum performances that's right so what we got when the album greatest hits was released was vhs and the laser disc which and the laser disc and i and i had a laser disc player by that point yeah, me too. Um, and it was. It was just amazing. Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that um, all of the original screenshots on my website of, of stills from the videos were all taken from those initial laser discs oh. because um, from that initial laser disc, because the, you know, that was back then, that was the clearest, best quality picture we had was laser disc until the DVD came out, you know. Yeah, so and it was, and of course now we have the 4K and HD remasters, which is even better. Yeah. So yeah, but um, even I think for fans, you know, we had all the songs. So the greatest hits being released, well, that's just that's kind of a fun thing. But it was the video album 
of all those singles because we hadn't had that. You know, we'd been, we'd been, we'd had Savage, of course, and We Two Are One, but you know, none of the rest of those live. But well, except for yeah, for yeah, Who's That Girl, Sweet Dreams, and uh, Love Is a Stranger on Sweet Dreams, the video album, and the horrible thing, the horrible thing, <laughs> that Sweet Dreams, the credits roll over the video in Sweet Dreams. Oh, I know. Who? Oh, did- that, I know. That was awful. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> That's was- but. The exciting thing for U.S. fans was that we finally got to see the videos for When Tomorrow Comes and A Miracle of Love, which we hadn't seen in the U.S. The first time I ever saw those was when on, was on the home video. Yeah. And so, um, you know, this was back before YouTube. Had we had YouTube then, we would have been able to see everything. But <laughs> Yeah, but it is, it's fascinating to go back um, on The Greatest Hits, how big that album was. Yeah, It was number one in Australia number one in Austria, number one in Belgium, uh, number one in the Netherlands, number one on European albums that they would have a European, you know, top albums, number one in France, number one in Germany, number one in Ireland, number one in New Zealand, number one in the UK. And like you said earlier, I think it was number one for, um, Multiple weeks, ten weeks, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was um, one of the biggest selling albums of the year. Yeah, I've got some certification stats in front of me. In the U.S., it went triple platinum. In the United Kingdom, it went six times platinum, tw- double platinum in Switzerland, platinum in Sweden, Spain, Norway, four times platinum in New Zealand. Um. Gold in Japan and Finland. Surprised it is only one gold in Japan. And five times gold in Germany. So that's just some of the stats. So, yeah, it was quite the success. And I think that shows you the strength of their songwriting, the strength of the quality of their songs, and their just the fact that, you know, they always presented everything in such a unique, interesting way. And I think, you know, the, the sad thing about it uh, all is – that, you know, Dave and Annie had gone their separate ways and needed a break, as they say, in 1990 at the end of the revival tour, basically. And I don't think there was any of them getting together for any of this. Clearly, they did some things because she did record some vocals for the Love is a Stranger reissue single and possibly Sweet Dreams, although I still don't understand what that is, if that's the case. Um so, you know, it was a little, well, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I think it would have been a different kind of thing, perhaps, had they still been together and, and the record company says, hey, we, it's time for Greatest Hits kind of thing. They probably would have done some things differently. But it was that really um, kind of sad period where they both said, we're on a break. And they really weren't doing a lot of talking to one another, I don't think. Right. It was. You know, and of course, she was moving toward her that she was going to record a solo album and all that. Um, you know, it's interesting. I always thought that the, the, the picture sleeve for that sweet dreams 91, which shows like a, like a star burst or like something, it looks like something's coming. I always took that as a, like a precursor to her solo career. <laughs> like, you know, it looked like, you know, something's developing, something's coming, something's shining bright. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, Oh, when I looked back on it, I thought maybe that was meant to be a reference to what was coming. Never know. Um, um, but definitely, um, you know, I think the fans would say that the uh, European version of the greatest hits is the, is the definitive one to own because it has, you know, 18 tracks and it, and it covers pretty much everything. Yeah. It doesn't forget sex crime. It doesn't forget the 1980. Right. But we should talk about ultimate collection, which came out in Oh five. Um, which contained two new songs, which of course was the big thrill for your Rhythmics fans. Um, I've got a life and was it just another love affair? I got a life, of course, had a video and was released as a single and was quite successful single, even in the U S I believe it got to 29 on adult contemporary. And that was, to me, that was something considering they had been out of the picture for a while and all that. I think number one on the dance charts for three weeks. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And, um, but the ultimate collection is really, frankly, far from ultimate. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have uh, 
sex crime on it. It doesn't have anything from from uh, We Two Are One on it. Or In the Garden. Or In the Garden. Um, so it's a bit odd that it's called The Ultimate Collection. Um, I know Annie made a comment when she was asked something similar about, you know, why is it called Ultimate Collection if, there's, <laughs> if not everything is on it? And I think her answer was something like, well, we thought it was the best representation of us at the time. Something along those lines, I remember her saying. And I thought, well, and she also made a comment about perhaps we made one album too many. And I think she was referring to We Two Are One. Because I don't believe Peace had come out yet. Um, well, yeah. no, I don't know. Yeah, Peace. Well, yeah, but I think she was referring to We Two Are One, which, um, you know, I know they were having, you know, difficulties at the time, personalities clashing and all that. So maybe that's where that's coming from. But it is odd that nothing from that album is on Ultimate Collection, considering that it was a very successful album worldwide, you know, did very well in the UK and in Europe and did well here, actually um, did better than Savage did here. And um, yeah, I just, I just find it odd that, you know, don't ask me why is not on there. King and queen of America, just very strange. I think, you know, I think unfortunately don't ask me why, which again is one of my top five Eurythmic songs. I love that song. I love everything about that song. Yeah, me too. I think because Annie's signature solo debut hit, and it's such an important, is called Why. And I think there probably is some, um, you know, hesitation to have this song Oh, you think people might buy it thinking it's why, but it's really don't ask me why? There is there is a there is kind of a boo-boo on the Peace Tour DVD that at some point, and I haven't played that DVD in a long time, it says don't ask me why. And you click on it and it goes to the why. Oh, I remember that. Yes, yes. So I don't know if there was ever some discussion, okay, we're going to perform Don't Ask Me Why, and then there was like, no, we're going to let Annie do a couple of her solo hits or something, but that was weird. The- I wanted to bring up something that I thought was very interesting. Um, what when when Annie's song "Why" opens, you hear da na 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 na. What do you hear when "Seventeen Again" opens? Oh, na 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 na. It's the it's it's the same melody. How interesting! Is that a comment? Is that a comment? I I don't know. Very interesting, possibly. Yeah. That, that, have you ever have you ever noticed that? Has that ever occurred to you? But no, you're you're right. That is kind of that sort of. Sort it's of, the same thing. Ding ding ding. So I don't know. Is that a nod to her? You know, we're back, but she had this solo career, or, or uh, you know, why I think was kind of perceived as kind of the breakup song for Dave and Annie. You right. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this boat is sinking and, you know, which, which brings back the imagery of them in the sweet dreams boat, you know, mm-hmm. and I can still read what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. They always said very, very specifically, they knew what the other, that Annie knew what Dave was thinking. Dave knew what, you know, they were so in tune, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, musically that, um, so it, it has always seemed like it was less of a romantic breakup than it did have a little bit to do. Well, yeah, I think if you knew the history of, of, of Dave and Annie, you you maybe took it that way. If you were just a, a lay person, yeah. <laughs> it would just be a song about a disintegrating relationship. And it's probably both. It's probably both. Well, and she, and she would be the first to say that none of her songs, right. you know, are one specific biographical thing. It, it stems from something and then it goes from there. But, um, you know, there is one thing, you know, the uh, iTunes version of Ultimate Collection does have a bonus track, which is the King and Queen of America. So there oh is, God, I didn't know that. <laughs> your one is represented in the Ultimate Collection on one of the various formats that you could get, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but um, I was, you know, so you have the two new songs. They said they recorded three new songs but only two made the album. We still have never been. Well, there was, it was revealed that they had done a duet with Kellis, that artist. Um, and that was when they were doing the, they were doing the tracks for ultimate collection. So it may be that song that um, has never, we know that's never been released. I, I think Dave's even mentioned it. So that's in the vault somewhere. 
Um, this vault that we can't get to. <laughs> and apparently neither can Dave or Annie. <laughs> <laughs> apparently you'll be correct on that. Yeah. So, um, but um, yeah, but um, was it just another love affair? Which I think is such a great song. And um, I think Dave described it as like the song, a song you hear in the, at the summertime on the radio when you're in a, when you're in a park or something and it, it just comes out over the radio and it just, it's just there. And, and yeah, I saw, I saw something, I was watching a, a video with them and he said it he kind of, said it was kind of an R and B track, but also very contemporary Harry put it. I will tell you this. I have not liked that song. Oh, really? And, and in preparation for this podcast, Rex, I have listened to it several times. I have somewhat changed my mind, but for many years, I skipped over it. I did not like it. Really? I always love the, the bass, the bass in it. And, um, I, and go ahead. No, I just, I just love the bass and I, and I love the another love affair, another love affair, love affair, love affair, that kind of stuff, you know. And I like the lyrics a lot. And I think it's a song that three quarters of the way through needed to fade out. I, I, the, it's sort of the last part of the song that for some reason, and I can't tell you why, for some reason, it just, it bugs me. It's not never been a favorite song of mine. I, I kind of wish it had been, because the lyrics are so... Beautiful. And I kind of wonder, so I'm going to throw this out there and see what you think, that it's something that she would have written and recorded for Bear, which came out only a couple years before this album. Um, it's, uh, to me, it would have fit very well on Bear in a way, which is an album that I do really like. Um, reminds me a little bit of The Hurting Time, which is another song that's on Bear. And it's a song that I really don't like. And Bear is an album that I adore, with the exception of <laughs> The Hurting Time. I don't love that mm. song. You know, The the Hurting Time is... It, um, are you familiar with The Rainy Night in Georgia by Brooke Benton? It's an old single from the 70s. Mm. It always reminded me of that and that, that type of song. Mm. Um, kind of an early 70s, kind of slow, kind of like soulful song i i do think it's a bit too long on the album yeah but but i do like it i do like it um I would love to have seen I, it, when you read the lyrics there's it's it's a very painful song uh and um i would have loved it as some sort of song that could make you weep <laughs> you know a, diff, a change of music um but um but nevertheless and I did read somewhere the other day where someone said that uh, that the two new songs were leftovers from peace, which is absolutely not true. Um, that they were not leftovers from peace whatsoever. They even talk about it, you know, that in many, many interviews that they, you know, that they got back together and over a martini or something and ended up with were these three songs too that made the album. But I, I don't know where people get these things, you know, like where, but, you know, going back to it wasn't just another love affair. I always thought it that it's it it's a eurythmic song, but it didn't sound like the typical eurythmic song. It was almost it was it was kind of jammy, you know, like jam, jammy, and and that bass the bass was so emphasized. Um, I do know that at that time that kind of sound was fairly big. You know, these kind of jam bands were big, and I think and, that's probably what Dave meant by contemporary. That it, it yeah. have that sort of yeah. contemporary sound. Um, but uh, what I really, the, what I like the most about the song, I think, is the bass hmm. and her vocals. But um, but I, I did I did make a point. I listened to it over and over, and and I was sort of surprised. I said to myself, "Well, this isn't as this isn't as bad as you remember." Uh, except <laughs> about two quarters of the way, and I'm like, "Okay, I can I can dial this down." But um, it, it does. It's it's beautiful lyrics. I will say that. Yeah. Um, you know, it had so that album had 19 tracks on. You know, which was would never because and when it was released, 2005, we didn't get vinyl on that. There was no vinyl for the no. collection. No, that was that space when vinyl had gone out, but before it came back in. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't mention that that uh, greatest hits had 
two different vinyl releases with it in 91. And then in 2010, which is five years after the Ultimate Collection, that the uh, original Greatest Hits was issued on vinyl and uh, 180 gram audiophile, um, which and had a great track list. So, <laughs> yeah, as a double LP. As, yeah, I mean, as a double LP. And just the, so when we, we were talking about doing a podcast on the two hits collections, there it is so interesting this that that greatest hits would get a reissue following Ultimate Collection on vinyl. And Ultimate Collection was never on vinyl. So the whole yeah, well, thing I, my, my idea on that is, you know, vinyl started to become big again. And they were like, OK, well, let's put out their greatest. You know, this is the one that sold the most, you know, uh -huh. the greatest hit that sold the most. And it's the one everybody is, is most, rec I think, the most recognizable one. Yeah. Um, but um, so but Ultimate Collection, uh, of course, it did precede the box set of all the Eurythmics albums, with the exception of 1984, uh, being reissued and remastered with all the bonus tracks that came out in the, and it was called Boxed, right? Yeah, yeah Boxed, yeah. <laughs> the Ultimate Collection, Greatest Hits Collection, preceded that by, what, a week or two? Right. Being released, and so it was almost a promotional, you know, thing for Boxed and stuff. So it was a really exciting time for fans, where we're yeah. getting a lot of these songs that we've never heard from the TPE yeah. project, some other uh, pieces a lot of people hadn't heard. Um, so, you know, I've heard that those are the original TVP tracks from the 80s, but when I listen to them on these remastered albums from the mid-00s, I think, is it possible, you know, that Dave tinkered with them and, and updated the sound and stuff? Because they sound so current and modern they don't sound um like they were from i mean their music is always timeless and is always not sounded dated but these tracks sounded like even to me that were like even more modern it's like were they that modern back in the 80s or did he tinker with them a little bit i wonder in 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 for the re-release possible i do think some of them sound very much like uh, uh demos i don't think they're so yeah. uh like the my girl or my guy, my guy. Yeah, those are very not really, com almost like not really completed. They're pretty good, pretty good, of course. And of course, uh, what's the one? Um, uh, last night I drink. Um, what last night I drank? Somebody loved me. Uh, yeah, that's a great song, and that seems pretty well fleshed out. I think. Yeah, same with um, uh, you know, uh, hello, I love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's come together. You know, so they had a lot of. The, yeah, come together. Put together on, on this box set. Well, you know, if he didn't do any tinkering tinkering to them in the mid-00s, then I have to say, wow, they, I mean, if we had heard those in the 80s like we were meant to, I think they would have really stood out. Yeah, yeah, um, as, as as they did. So it would be interesting to to see that. Well, I think just to sum all this up for fans who who, you know, are – you know, still trying to maybe for younger fans or new fans who, who are not as aware uh, you definitely want the European version of greatest hits. <laughs> and uh, of course you're going to want ultimate collection too, because it's got two songs on it that have never been released, but it's far from an ultimate collection. That's for sure. And remastered. Of course it's remastered. So that's good. Of course, but everything is still in print, you know, like the DVD of the videos is still in print. And um, what uh, does the original greatest hits have on it? That ultimate doesn't the extended version of sweet dreams and it doesn't even say on it sweet dreams are made of this extended version right you just get the almost just, five minute version of sweet dreams yeah. which was the version on the uh, the 12 inch single uh which was interesting that they did that and and actually didn't really promote it that they had done it right i wonder if it was just a case of when they went to the master tapes they just put that one and didn't realize it was <laughs> I you know someone at the record company like this is probably it <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the chart positions weren't anywhere close to being that 1991 greatest hits. They, it, well, that, you know, I think that's because everybody had that greatest hits. You know, it sold so many copies. But it did well. And, you know, went three times platinum in the UK, two times platinum in Australia, two times platinum in Ireland. 
it did well. It did well, but uh, but like you said, the greatest hits was a very popular album and had most of those tracks. And I think a lot of reviews for Ultimate Collection, a lot of them said, and, and no one you know dismissed the idea that this is a great collection of songs. But I think a lot of people thought the Ultimate Collection could have been a two CD. Uh, yeah. version that would have gone sort of deeper into the album cuts. But right. like we said, the whole, really the point of all that when it was released was the boxed, the, the, the boxed album that had all the albums remastered and bonus tracks and stuff. So that was really sort of the big thing that came out. Yeah. And if you look at the certifications for ultimate collection, I mean, Australia two times platinum uh, United Kingdom three times platinum, right. Ireland two times platinum, and this is after everybody had already, you know, bought greatest hits. So that shows you that there was still a a, a market there for people to buy those greatest hits. Yeah. Um, I th I think the reason why it didn't do better in the U.S. was because it wasn't promoted very. It wasn't really promoted here in the U.S. all that well. And you know, we already had a triple platinum greatest hits here, and Arista probably thought, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, the only promotion it really got was that I've Got a Life was kind of somewhat a, a minor hit here. But would you even know there was a greatest hits tied with that if you didn't if you didn't really know? Yeah. yeah so it was interesting that the, the that it did that. So um, that it it had that kind of weird shelf life. Um, but again, popular enough. Um, and, you know, 2005, this is. What? Well, six years after Peace, but far yeah. after their huge 80s heyday. So, um, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if you looked at the current certifications of it, that it's probably sold more than what we've even seen now, you know, because it's been almost, it's 17 years now it's been out. Yeah, and, so. and it, would be the, it would be the one that you would most likely find. Uh, it'd be the one that, you know, that's still available. But, um, and it, and it well, you know, had its own DVD. Um, that had, mm -hmm. you know, all the music videos. Again, you know, two greatest hits video collections, neither one which includes Never Gonna Cry Again. Still can't figure that out. I think there's some legal issue maybe. I think there's I think there's legal kind of, um, uh, I don't know, like union issue. I don't know, those kind of things. Of course, the Ultimate Collection video does not have Beethoven. The original did. Uh, you know, and to me, you can't have Chill and I Need a Man Right. Not Beethoven. It's exactly. A, can't do it. So, um, you know, but, and, and Peace has its own, you know, uh, I'm not sure about, you know, on Peace, but nothing from We Two or One. It's, to me, that's just, to me, that's just wrong. It needed at least one of the singles from uh, We Two or One, but, you know, so. Right. Well, it, yeah, and it did have, uh, well, it had 17, yeah, 17 again, and I saved the world today. So yeah, it's just, um, I think they were kind of down on We Two Are One for a while, you know, because it was kind of the end of their career. But I think, I think, well, fans always loved it. The public loved it. It was a big hit. Um, I know in, you know, in, in recent times, as, as I've listened to We Two Are One, I, um, I've always liked it, but I, I like it even more now than I did then. So the DVD for Ultimate Collection just had I Saved the World Today. It didn't have the video for 17 again. Oh, right. That's right. Those are two, bo though, again, those are two videos that really kind of go together. But that also never had its own uh, release um, where you had those videos. And I think that's a real shame. That See, 17 again is, you can't, that's not commercially available, is it? No, the video. No, and that's such a shame because this would have been the perfect place for it. Uh, right. Could they really not get one more four-minute video on this DVD? Uh, so it, it was an odd thing, you know. And when and when you hear them talk about it, they almost kind of you know they they talk like yeah, we're not so sure either. So you wonder just how much involvement there was there. Or, I don't know. I think the involvement probably was a lot of Dave that you know trying to find all of these bonus tracks for the box set. And of course, that's a whole other podcast. The number of items that are missing. <laughs> probably. Well, yeah, that's because we are still to receive at some point down the line, a uh, probably a release of Eurythmics B sides and rarities, yeah. you know, with all the odd stuff like lentils and rice and, and uh, ABC free form and all that stuff. 
I love those weird experimental B-sides. That was one of the things that that I loved about Eurythmics was those experimental B-sides. And, you know, and I would play those for people in the 80s and they'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why do you like this? It's like, well, it, it's called experimenting and it's called avant-garde and, you know, uh, well, I mean, ABC Freeform is like, it's like sort of like, um, oh, now I'm blanking on this uh, white light, white heat. Who was, what band was that? The Velvet Underground. Um, it's very much like a Velvet Underground kind of song. Um, anyhow, so I mean, you know, to, to, to your poor friends who were inflicted on hearing, you take some lentils and you take some rice. That that does take a, a certain person <laughs> to love that song. <laughs> I'm glad love- you gave it. I'm glad you played it for them. But I understand if they thought, ah, uh, that's not really that catchy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but no. I love Harvey says it's really, really asinine. <laughs> and um and I remember I think I said this in another podcast. I played uh, I did it just the same for one of my friends one time from nineteen eighty four, you know, it was just her vocals and yeah. and they when it was over, they looked at me and said, Boy, you'll just buy anything by this band, won't you? <laughs> Which I completely disagree with that comment because I think that's a fantastic track yeah. and a fantastic album, and I just don't think that person got it. So yeah, I, I suspect this person thought, well, she's not singing anything; she's just right noise, and she probably thought, like, yeah, that's not really a song, Rick. So that's well, probably her. And wasn't that kind of the American critical reaction to the album? It's like mm-hmm. it's a soundtrack. Where are the you know yeah. that we all know about that Rolling Stone review that. Uh, <laughs> You can't get over that. Really. Well, we should probably wrap this podcast up on, on Greatest Hits and Ultimate Collection. We're at 50 minutes. We were going to try for 30 minutes. <laughs> we could, we can never keep it to 30 minutes. Yeah, we, should, we should just stop saying that because we know we can't do it. But I think yeah. the, the biggest thing is, you know, while people are deciding if they're worthy of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Hall of fame two, in essence, Greatest Hits collections uh, that both so very well across the world and has collected, you know, an immense amount of hit singles. And, uh, you know, I think, again, that goes back to saying they're very worthy of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame based on their single output alone. Right. And, you know, both uh, greatest hits collections uh, showcase that really well. Yeah. Well, I think a good way to close is to remind everybody to go and vote daily at the Rock Hall of Fame. And you know, I haven't voted today. I haven't voted. I usually do it in the morning, and I haven't voted yet. I've got to go do that now. Thank you, Rex, for the reminder. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, we'll be back soon with another podcast. Really exciting podcast coming up. We're not going to say. Yes, we've got some interesting things coming up with some interesting guests. And also, I'm sure we'll be, well, not I'm sure. I know we. Mark and I will be back, just the two of us, two of us with more interesting dialogue about things. I know we've talked about uh, a podcast about the peace album, um, which should be interesting because it seems to be a kind of a polarizing album with fans. Um, Despite, personally, I think, personally, I think it's a brilliant album, but we'll discuss it. All right. We will. All right. Next time. Next time. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone. See ya.